And please turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 5a. This is our scripture reading this morning, Micah 5, 1 to 5a. And then our sermon passage this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Again, our sermon passage is Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. But first, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 5a. Brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God. This is your king speaking to you. Please give your full attention now to the reading of God's word. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall, shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And now turning to Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it, so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that your word has revealed this to us, because without your word, we would not know. We would be as dark as the citizens of Jerusalem were. Never would we have known about our Savior's birth except that you revealed it to us 
because you preserved it for us in your word. And so we're thankful, Lord, for this passage. We're thankful for what it teaches us about you. We're thankful for what it teaches us about our Savior. We pray, Lord, that you would use the preaching and the teaching of your word now so that we might worship you and so that you might edify us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, some of you, perhaps, most likely many of the adults here have experienced this. It's never a good thing, you probably understand, to find out that you have been made redundant at work, that your services are no longer required. And so imagine, if you will, that you are a regional king in the Roman Empire and the long-awaited, prophesied-about true king has come. This was the situation in which Herod found himself after the birth of Jesus. By the time that the events that we have read just now in our passage took place, it had been about two years. According to chapter 2, verse 16, Jesus was close to two years old. And prior to the wise men's arrival, Herod had no knowledge of this supposed Messiah being born. And so when the Magi showed up at his palace looking for the king of the Jews, Herod knew that he had a potential problem. Herod is not so different from any king who thinks that his throne is about to be taken away from him. As we've seen in 1 Samuel, King Saul had a similar reaction when the Lord's favor departed from him and rested upon David. He was deeply jealous of David and he spent years pursuing David, hoping to kill him. And so it's no surprise that Herod was troubled by the news that the Magi bring. As you probably know, Herod spent a lifetime in political intrigue. He knew how to work any situation to his own benefit, to his own advantage. He had executed members of his own family, including his own children, to keep his position as king of Israel secure. Rumors that the Messiah had come, even if they were found to be untrue, could do damage to his kingdom that he had built for himself. Herod knew a threat when he saw one, and he wasn't afraid to carry out mass killings if he thought that it would help him keep his throne. As we consider this passage, as we work our way through the sermon, I would ask you to consider this thought. The kingship of Jesus threatened Herod, and it threatens us too. But the response of faith is to fall down and worship him. Let me say that again. The kingship of Jesus threatened Herod, but it threatens us too. But the response of faith is to fall down and worship him. The sermon is divided into three sections. The first, in search of the king. The second, the disbelief of God's people. And the third, Gentiles worship Jesus. So again, in search of the king is the first section. The disbelief of God's people is the second. And Gentiles worship Jesus is the third. So let's look at the first section of the sermon, In Search of the King. Verses 1 and 2 say that after Jesus was born, wise men or magi came to Jerusalem. They had seen his star in the east. They had followed it all the way to the capital city of Judea. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they explained that they had come to worship him. 
Now we're not told a lot about these magi. Common lore has it that there were three, but there's actually no number that's given uh, for them. There, there might have been a large number of them, because verse 3 implies that, that the group that was traveling together, and probably a group that had traveled over many months to, to go from Persia uh, to Jerusalem, it was probably quite large. They had an entourage, and it was big enough, how many ever magi there were among it, to, cause, uh, to call attention to itself. These Magis, we said they were most likely from Persia, where they served the king of Persia as astrologers. And in the book of Daniel, the Magi, along with sorcerers, enchanters, and Chaldeans, are members of the king's court and are collectively referred to in the book of Daniel as wise men. The Magi saw something in the stars that drew them to Jerusalem. Now, there have been various theories about what they saw. One explanation is that it was a comet. Another is that it was Jupiter and Saturn coming together in a bright nighttime display. Around uh, 3 to 1 BC, there was some sort of event that took place, some kind of eclipse or astronomical event that took place that's recorded in other histories of that time. But it's unclear what, if any, of these things it might have been. But it should not be forgotten that long before this, God used a bright light to bring his people out of Egypt. And so God used some kind of bright light, some kind of star, something that was regarded as a star by those who recorded it to reveal to the wise men that they needed to journey to Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews. Now, Matthew does not condone astrology, and neither should we. Please, if you like to look at horoscopes and try to figure out your future from them, give it up. Scripture condemns astrology. But we should take note of the fact that God drew these men, these pagans, to himself. That he called them out of their paganism and he brought them to Jerusalem in the hopes, their hopes, that they would be able to worship this king. And so Jesus was barely two years old and the mission to the Gentiles, which the Apostle Paul would carry out more fully, this mission to the Gentiles had already begun. The Magi's entrance into Jerusalem with their announcement of whom they were seeking, it must have taken nearly everyone by surprise. This was the nerve center of Judaism, and so the people would have expected, would have had a right to expect that they would know something about the birth of their Messiah if it had actually happened. No one would have imagined that the priests and the religious leaders didn't know that the Messiah had already come. And this brings us to the second point of the sermon, the disbelief of God's people. The Magi logically had chosen to go to Jerusalem because it was the capital of Judea and the religious center for the Jews. They expected to find the king of the Jews there. While the Magi were searching for the king, those who were in positions of religious and civil authority were ignorant of his birth. They had no clue. And so we see that God had chosen to reveal the coming of his Messiah to a small group of outsiders. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Even if they were wrong and the promised Messiah had not come, the Magi's arrival would remind the people that Herod was not their true king. He wasn't from the line of David. Herod wasn't even a Jew. It was his father's and his own political maneuvering, maneuvering that led to his position as the regional king of Judea. He knows his position is tenuous. He knows that he needs to take this threat seriously, even if it turns out to be nothing. 
And so as verse 4 says, he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't even know where the Messiah was to be born. And so they quoted to Herod a passage from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7 shows the shrewdness of Herod. He secretly brought the Magi in to meet with him, and he found out from them what time the star had appeared. And Herod would later use this information to determine the approximate age of Jesus and would command all of the male children in Bethlehem two years of age or younger to be killed. But his initial plan was much more subtle. In verse 8, he sent the Magi to Bethlehem and said to them, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. The easiest way to deal with this potential threat is a surgical strike. He doesn't care if this child is the Messiah or not. Like King Saul, he wants the threat to his kingdom to be eliminated. And as we've noted before, there are striking similarities between Saul's pursuit of David and Herod's pursuit of Jesus. Both Saul and Herod sensed that their thrones were in jeopardy. Both David and Jesus were the Lord's anointed, and anointed is what the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christos mean. Saul and Herod tried vigorously to destroy the threats to their power, but God protected his anointed so that no harm came to them. Now, Herod is an extreme case. People like Herod are extreme cases, but it is common for people to want rid of Jesus. They want to have Christmas without all the Jesus in it. They want to say that Christmas is a pagan holiday. They want to get rid of the true meaning of the season. And that is because Jesus is a threat to everyone who is trying to build his or her own kingdom. And we're all guilty of that. That's why some nations have tried to keep the Christian faith out of their country because of the freeing power of grace that Jesus brings. But it happens at an individual level too. I am building my kingdom. I'm the king of this little world. I'm the one who's in control. But if Jesus is in my heart, if Jesus is my king, then I have to bend my knee to him. I have to acknowledge his sovereignty over my life. And so each of us needs to admit that we all are little Herods. And even though Herod's kingdom was a backwater, a small little burrow in the grand scheme of the Roman Empire, ours is vastly smaller than his. We just need to remember that Jesus came to set us free from tyranny, even the tyranny of self. We think we're in control. But the truth is, unless Jesus is in our hearts, sin has control over us. Let's look now at the third point of the sermon. Gentiles worship Jesus. Verse 9 says, After listening to the king, they, that is the magi, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Remember, brothers and sisters, We are dealing with Almighty God. He can do whatever He wants and use whatever kind of astronomical signs He chooses in order to lead those He wants to be led to Jesus. 
to Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you read this verse and you get fixated on the activity of the star. How does it move from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? How did it, hit, it, it move from Persia to Jerusalem in the first place? We want to get into the mechanics of this. But this verse, verse 9, should actually lead us to ask a different question. Why is there no mention of the chief priests and the scribes going with the Magi to Bethlehem? The Magi have come from a great distance because they have seen a sign that the king of the Jews has been born. The chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of, uh, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, of, of Judea, have told them where they can find this supposed king. And yet these leaders don't do a thing. They don't go. They should have led the Magi on their six-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But these religious leaders were loyal to Herod's agendas. They had been appointed by him to their positions of authority. They owed him. The priests, the scribes, the ones who knew the scriptures better than anyone else didn't want a new king coming in and upsetting the balance of power. They had no interest in going to Jesus. They did not want a change of command. But the Magi, these pagans, these Gentiles, do go. And verse 10 says that when they saw the star resting over the place where the child was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They understood the meaning of Christmas. And they were filled with joy. And we need to understand a few things here. By this time, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they had moved into a house. Sorry if you have nativity scenes, but they're wrong if they show magi beside the manger. They were in a house by this time. And verse 11 says that the magi entered the house, and when they saw the child with Mary, they fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They knew who Jesus was. This is the only appropriate response when people encounter King Jesus. And yet we don't read of this happening very often in the book of Matthew. When Jesus is an adult and he's carrying out his, his earthly ministry, when he's revealing himself to be the true king of Israel, we don't see people bowing down before him left and right as they should have been. The Magi offer gifts, gold and incense and myrrh. And this is perhaps the reason that we think that there are three kings or three wise men. And these gifts are appropriate for a king. It didn't matter to the Magi that Jesus was not in the palace at Jerusalem. It didn't matter to them that he had been born in a cattle stall and that he was living in obscurity and poverty in the small town of Bethlehem. These details did not prevent the Magi, Gentiles and pagans from worshiping Jesus. But even though Scripture prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, aside from the lowly shepherds, Jesus' own people paid no attention to his birth. As John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The chief priests and scribes were the first people of Israel, besides those shepherds and the people who they might have told, these were the first people to know about the birth of the Messiah. They should have gone with the Magi to Bethlehem. 
They should have returned to Jerusalem and proclaimed Jesus as the true king of Israel. Instead, they declined even to investigate what the Magi said. And as a result, they failed in their spiritual leadership of the people of Israel. Jesus, who should have been widely received and worshipped by his people, was instead worshipped by a group of astrologers from a foreign land. From a land that previously had held God's people in captivity. Verse 12 says that the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and so they went back to their own country, staying away from Jerusalem. The time had fully come for the Son of God to be born on earth, but the time had not come for him to die. And so God, God thwarted the plans of Herod by giving a revelation to the Magi to avoid him. The father was protecting his son, his anointed, but he was also protecting the Magi. It is safe to assume that Herod had plans to kill them as well, just as he had plans for Jesus. Herod could not afford for them to talk about their visit to the king of the Jews. One thing I want to highlight to you about this passage is that it shows the two types of responses that people have to Jesus. They either receive him as their king, bowing down to him and worshiping him, or they actively reject him. These are the only two responses. There is no indifference when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is either the stone that makes men stumble or the rock that makes them fall. He is either our king and our savior or he is our enemy. This is the great divide between faith and unbelief. And our response to Jesus is based upon who he is to us. If he is our king, if we believe that he is the son of God, we will bow down and worship him. If he is our enemy, then in unrighteousness, we will actively suppress the truth of who he is, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1. On which side of the divide are you? Now, certainly being in church is a good sign. But just because you are here this morning doesn't mean that you are not enemies of Jesus. Some of you might be here because your parents made you come. You might be here because going to church is what you've done all of your life, but not because Jesus is actually your Savior and King. If this is the case, do not be guilty of indifference toward the Lord. Do not be guilty of of what Herod and the chief priests and the leaders of the people were guilty of, and not even bothering to investigate the signs. Repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Others of you here, hopefully most of you, if not all of you here, might be here because you were drawn to God, by God to the King of the Jews. You have come in faith and have bowed down to worship Jesus. And I want to encourage you to keep bowing down and worshiping Him. Don't grow weary in your faith. It's true, the journey that you are on is far greater than the distance from Persia to Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but it is worth it. Don't give up. Don't turn to the side. Your goal is the same as the Magi. You want to see your true king face to face, and you will. God's word promises you that you will see him in all of his splendor and glory. You will see him in his heavenly palace when he welcomes you in as his brothers and sisters. That, brothers and sisters, is his Christmas gift to you. 
if you believe in him. And that is good news. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for this most precious gift. A gift that's far more precious than what was given to him. Your gift to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in the fullness of time, the Son of God came. It was born of the Virgin Mary in the flesh, in our flesh. We thank you that he willingly gave up his throne at the Father's right hand in order to come and to dwell, to tabernacle among us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would give us joy, that you would give us hope, that you would give we who are truly weary pilgrims strength and encouragement. We pray, O Lord, for your blessings upon us. We pray that we truly would worship the true King, the high King of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.